Readers Entertainment Radio presents Book Lights with your host, author Lisa Kessler. Book Lights, where we're shining a light on good books. Hello, everyone. It's Monday. It's a whole new week, and we're we're almost halfway through November. What is happening? I just don't even know what time is anymore. But I'm so glad that you guys are here because today we have an amazing thriller author on who is also a doctor, so you can imagine her medical thrillers are going to keep you on the edge of your seat. She knows all the secrets. She doesn't have to do research like me where I'm emailing doctors going, would this kill someone? Um, <laughs> but, but if you haven't met or read Melissa Yee yet, you are in for a big treat. I'm going to read her bio here so you can get to know her, and then we're going to talk all about medicine and and bad guys so i can't wait so melissa Yee could slice your throat and then sew it back up again legally because she's an emergency doctor in her spare minutes melissa writes thrillers about dr hope c a resident doctor bone deep in murder which have been finalists for the killer nashville silver falcon award for best thriller and the crime writers of canada award of excellence In The Shapes of Wrath, which comes out in February, Hope confronts a killer surgeon and a ghost in the operating room. Writing under her name, Melissa Yuan Ines, I think I said that right, but now I'm not sure. Melissa writes award-winning speculative fiction and nonfiction. Sometimes she even sleeps. Um, You can find out more about her on her website. I did put the link to her website right there on the Blog Talk site, so if you're listening live or listening later, you can click over there and definitely sign up for her newsletter and check out all her books. Oh, my gosh, I have so many questions. She writes in a million genres, so I can't wait. <laughs> so, Melissa, are you there? I am here. And you know what they say about emergency doctors, that a lot of us have ADHD. So that's why a million genres. The more, the merrier. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> right, right. Wherever the muse takes you. <laughs> exactly. Don't get bored. Just keep moving. Right? Well, when I was looking at the book that comes out in February, The Shapes of Wrath, it looks like it's the start of a new series, but it's your same heroine from your other series, right? Exactly, yes. So um, Hope is a resident doctor, so every rotation she's doing a different subject. So it could be surgery, it could be palliative care, it could be emergency medicine. Basically, they tell you where to go and you go. And it's pretty much a different rotation every month. But in this case, I was like, you know what would be really cool is if Hope attacked the seven deadly sins. So each book is a different sin. And she's um, still in a different area of medicine and solving a murder. (laughs) And then in this case, I wanted it to be that she could have a paranormal element too. So that's why the ghost. I love it. Has she ever seen a ghost before in the other books? So in the previous series, I don't want it to be too much of a spoiler, but it's actually okay because it's right at the beginning of White Lightning. The last book of the previous series, White Lightning, one of her best friends sees a ghost. And so in that one, Hope ends up having to solve crimes in three different centuries, one of them in 19th century England, one of them during Prohibition from the 1920s, and the third one is in present day um, because they're at the Prohibition Hotel. 
And it's like, it's basically like Comic-Con, only there's a little Canadian convention called RogueCon where everybody dressed up like a villain. And there's also a murder <laughs> going on then. <laughs> so that was oh pretty gosh. ambitious. Um, but she's not seeing both her best friend does. And in this one, it's starting to cross over to Hope. So that, I was like, that's worth starting a new series for because it's a paranormal house. Ah, so will the the um, seven dead hopes seven deadly sins series all have um, paranormal elements to it? They will, <laughs> but I haven't quite figured out exactly how much or what kind. Um, and it is a bit daunting to have to know that you have seven books, but I know what the last one is going to be. The last one is going to be Clyde on the forensic psychiatry ward. So they're all building up towards the forensic psychiatry. <laughs> hey, yeah. <laughs> nice. I actually had a forensic psychiatrist so, who invited me to her place so I could come and visit the, her hospital. Oh, that was probably cool. It is very cool. So I just want to let people know that I still also do a ton of research because, you know, I know some <laughs> stuff, but I don't know a lot of stuff. So I also have to be like, Somebody help me. <laughs> right, been right. Room for a long time. Like, you know, things, things change. Like, for example, when I was in mm-hmm. the operating room, um, you, there was this whole elaborate procedure, right, that you, you would hit the water with your knee or with your elbows, and then you'd have to wash, you know, in a certain way from your hands down because your fingers are the most sterile, and then the least sterile would be your elbows and stuff like that. And... Then my friend told me, like, no, now we use waterless scrub. And I'm like, waterless scrub? Okay. So it's basically like like fancy hand sanitizer. So they don't use water anymore. Really? But Yeah, but that was a change, you know, over the last few years. I don't know exactly when, since I hadn't been there. So I was like, oh, okay, good to know. Like, I don't want, hope to be using water when that, when they pretty much phased it out. Wow, that's amazing. And when you were writing these, how much of you is in hope? Oh, like 90%. <laughs> because, <laughs> uh, you know, hope is uh, like she is doing her residency in Montreal, which is, if people don't know, this, in a way it's a very fun city. It's got excellent food, lots of very good-looking people who um, – pay attention to fashion so just looking around is a treat there are tons of artists so you know i'll be like oh look there's uh, somebody strung a doll on their bike or they painted a dead tree yellow like there's just there's always something to do and something to see but it's also a very chaotic so like um there are tons of potholes the street lights don't work um <laughs> people would be visiting the school and like the window just fell out of the wall like and, and fell at their feet and, and smashed um, so you can imagine oh in the hospital, like, you know, I'd be running, I, I'm on call running down the stairs, and I'm like, oh, part of the plaster of the wall fell off in the middle of the stairs. So I'm like, okay, I just, have to run, I just, just run around it. You know, like, just everything was broken. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I was just like, this is, this is pretty wild. So I, I did set my series there. And, and are you place, from but, Montreal? Uh, no, I'm from Ottawa. It's only about two hours away, and that's the national capital of Canada. But um, okay. it's very different. You know, so my friends, for example, they're like, oh, when I go to Ottawa, you know, there's there's place to park. You know, the parking spaces are outlined on the road. Every, You know, it's marked how long do you need to pay. 
you know, I don't need to, like, like in Montreal, just to give you another example, once my husband and I went with our baby girl um, to see, you know, the terracotta warriors or something, all, came all the way from China. I'm like, okay, I've always wanted to see them perfect. Like, they're right in Montreal. Let's go. It's about an hour away from us because we live in the country. Mm-hmm. And, and so he's like, okay, great. So, you know, we brought her in her little car seat. She, she had slept the whole way. She slept while we were in the museum. Like, all right. My husband's dragging me around the car seat, which is super heavy, you know. And we went out to lunch and everything. Now we're ready to go home. We have to go at a certain time because there's tons of traffic. And um, my husband's already exhausted from carrying the car seat around and pulled out his shoulder. Our car is missing. What? And he's, ex- he's extremely well-oriented. He's an engineer. Like, he, he always knows the streets and everything. I'm, like, more just, like, oh, I think I parked here. But right. like, we both were, like, we parked here and our car is missing. So I said, oh my so gosh! Get back. Our son, our son is in daycare in another like you know we're technically in a neighboring province, so we have to we have to get there to pick him up. Right. And we don't have a vehicle, and we have our baby who is of course oh starting gosh. to wake up now. And and <laughs> uh, so we wandered around, and I, I was like I was like I guess I'll call the police. I guess somebody stole our car. Um, and he started walking around, and then he found it. They had towed our car. They wanted to do snow removal. So just without warning, they towed our car and put it on a different street. Oh my and gosh! And they gave us a ticket. They ticketed <laughs> us, and <laughs> were towing us without warning. <laughs> that's that's wow. a very Montreal thing. So I I wrote back to them an angry thing, uh, you know, when they went through the page, and they sent sent it back to me in French saying, "Pay the ticket." And I and so we're going to have to go to court. To fight it back in Quebec, you have to drive back to Montreal to fight the ticket. And my husband's like, No, he just paid it. (laughs) (laughs) And his shoulder hurt for months afterwards. (laughs) So it was was bad news all around. Um, His shoulder's okay now. (laughs) But that's um, good. That sort of thing happens all the time. Like, so you love this city, but you also hate this city because it's. It's, like, it's always caught, like there's always things going wrong, and when you try to complain about it, nobody cares. So it's the perfect place to set up murders. Murders all around. <laughs> all the murder. <laughs> all of the murders, like really, like with, like you know, just another like little story that if you try to. To get your license in, in Quebec is also, the province of Quebec is also very difficult. Um, they set up a lot of barriers. You have to pass the French test. So there are Americans who come and they want practice in Quebec. They've already moved themselves and their families. You know, they're ready. They pass the academic test, but they cannot pass the French test. So they're trying and trying and trying. They're writing it over oh and my over gosh. and they can't pass it. They'd be like, no, go back to Florida or whatever. You know, they they'll, they'll just kick out doctors. <laughs> they're like, nah. And, and uh, um, oh my god, myself, like I I had trouble too. Like I was like, I was like, well, I can't. They, they gave me a date for the French test, and I speak good French. I've been in French immersion since I was like three or four, so I can speak that. So I'm like, okay, no problem. You can send me for the French test. And they're like, okay, here's the date. And I was like oh, well, I'm actually working in an emergency room in Ontario, like, five hours away, so I won't be able to do the French test with you. And they're like, oh, too bad. I'm like, well, I need another date. And they're like, no. And I said, 
Uh, well, I'm starting work in Quebec, and I have, I'm already on the schedule. So I need to have the test. You know, I have like one or two weeks to do the test before I start work, and they're expecting me to come. And they're just like, well, we gave you a date, so that's too bad. And I'm like, oh really, my you don't want a doctor in the emergency room because you don't want to give a date. And they were, we went back and forth, of course, in French. You know, if, I, if you couldn't speak French, you'd be really scuppered for this part. Um, and then finally, they were like, well, we do have one spot, but there's no way you can do it because you live in Ontario, which is a neighboring province. And I was like, give me the date and I will be there. And I was, and I passed the test. <laughs> so I was oh able my to gosh. work in Quebec, but they flew up tons of barriers. And when you complain about it, they just say, well, we did our job. And the thing is, your taxes are going to that bureaucracy. Anybody who's tried to do stuff in France, there's just this huge tradition of bureaucracy that they just throw up lots of roadblocks. And you think, you know, your healthcare system is, having trouble here don't you want more doctors and nurses and such to keep propping you up and the answer is only if they can speak french (laughs) only if they can speak french that's right and not only speak but you have to write it you have to write beautiful like beautiful french letters like with lots of accolades and that whole thing like it's it's a whole thing yes has that made it into (laughs) any of your books Oh, uh, it has not actually. Hope hasn't graduated yet. It's not an issue for her. She's still doing her training. Although sometimes people are like, "Wow," because there are nine books in the in the first series, so they're just like, "She's still in first year." <laughs> like, yes, yeah, just so many murders <laughs> in her first year, um, because they're they're twelve months, of course. So she could technically have more still in her first year. Yeah, she's not quite finished first year. This is the first one of the series. So yeah, there you go. She's still going. Um, so by the it's end, she, you know, want to become an accountant or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she might just be like, this is too much. Plus the ghost and everything. <laughs> she has a pretty tough life. <laughs> right, right. That's a tough resident. You're maybe, maybe the universe is telling you something. <laughs> that's true. Although I have to say the other thing that I do play with in this series, and the part that's not like me, is that uh, she has a love triangle. She has two guys. Um competing for her attention. So even if she wasn't accountant, oh. she would still have to balance the love part of it. Oh, I I've love been with that. the same guys in high school. I know, but I do have to, which means I have even more fun writing the love triangle. Like my, one of my <laughs> friends was like, oh, I love that you have an Asian girl who has two guys. And I was like, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that, that has two guys chasing after. I'm like, yes, it makes it even more perfect. <laughs> Hope just like it's raining men. <laughs> you know, just put, like she was like, I had this two year dry spell where I didn't see anybody, and now I have too many guys. And I'm like, ah, that's just the way, baby. That's just comes and droves. <laughs> such a such a problem. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you. Um, our listeners are always interested in you know your writing journey, that how you went to get published, and yours is probably really interesting since you're a doctor. What what made you decide to be an author, and how how did it work for you to actually see your books published? Okay, so that's a great question. Um, for me, I always wanted to write. I'm sure that lots of your listeners are like that, too. You know, like I felt this calling. I love books. My parents actually wanted my brother to learn Taekwondo so people didn't beat him up. 
And at the time, there was only one studio on, on the other side of Ottawa. So they would drive him to Nepean, and they would drop me off at the library three days a week. So just me and books. And um, I loved it. You know, I just sit there and read all the time. But we moved to Germany when I was 10, uh, to Frankfurt. My mom really wanted to explore wow. Europe, and so my dad switched over to the international side of the company. And um, my brother and I didn't really want to move, but we didn't get a vote, so we just plopped into Frankfurt, <laughs> and we, we were seeing castles every weekend. And I was 10 going on 11, and I was really grumpy because I was like, oh, they want us to see another castle again. And I just wanted to stay home and read. You know, if I could just have gone to McDonald's at the most, I would have been happy. Seriously, that's what I was like. But I would go, but in an unhappy way. Um, yeah, and then fine. The sad thing was that there weren't so many libraries there. There weren't so many English libraries. The school had a library. But if you remember what it's like when you're in school, like the people were, they actually noticed when you borrow a lot of books. So they would be like, oh, it's Melissa again. Oh, gosh, how right. many books do you read a day? You know, and stuff like there was no privacy to it. And I was just like, oh, I just wanted to read, you know. Um, so that right. was when I started writing a lot. Like I was like, well, I'm just going to have to make my own stuff up. In addition to still reading, I also started writing. And then we moved back to Ottawa when I was going into grade eight. And I stopped writing so much. <laughs> I just started reading again. But it was still there at the back of my mind. But actually, there's a tip for you. If you get the writing bug, keep going. Because actually then, when I started writing again, was um, after high school. It was hard to find a job. And my then boyfriend, who's now my husband, was like, why don't you write? You've always wanted to write. Now you can't. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, my parents would kill me. Because, like, not (laughs) working and earning money and writing... Like that, like that is madness. I was very nervous, but I did mention it, and I was just like, I want to write this song. I, they were, my dad was driving, and my mom was in the passenger seat, and I was just in the back seat, and so I just pulled the back of their heads, you know. <laughs> and, and they groaned, but they didn't tell me I couldn't do it. So I was like, okay, now I've got to write. And then I felt like I forgot how. I, I went oh, and I no. bought a bunch of books. Yeah, I was just like, okay, what do I do? Um, so I did start writing, but more slowly and more self-conscious about it. And I just said, is this any good? You know, and the answer is, of course, it probably wasn't. But, you know, you just, you just have to, you know, like you, instead of judging yourself, you just need to get it out there because practice yes. does, if it's not perfect, makes you better, keep going. And um, right. one book that did help me that my university professor, Dr. Ballard-Brank, had recommended was Writing Down the Bone by Natalie Goldberg. And that might sound really freeing for some reason. You know, the way it really spoke to me. She talks about stuff like fighting the tofu, for example, which means like you're battling, I, I guess in my case it would be like being self-conscious and feeling guilty about not working and earning money or whatever. She called it fighting the tofu, which is, she took quotes from Zen. And I was like, that's right, I'm fighting a lot of tofu, actually. Or her Zen teacher, like she told him, I'm afraid of loneliness. You know, I'm afraid I'm not going to find anybody. I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life. And he was mm-hmm. like, so? It's just loneliness. And I was like, yeah, you're right. It is just loneliness. Oh, and one last question, one last story from that one, which was that she said that 
um, she went over to somebody's house before they went to the movies, and the roommate was making brownies. And the whole movie, all she could think about was the brownies. And then after the movie, her friend's like, okay, let's go do this. And she was like, um, and she made a quick excuse to go back to their place so that she could try the brownies. <laughs> and I could so relate because I love food so much. <laughs> so all those things, so like it, just, it really made it easier for me to write. And then I was able to um, slowly get better because the thing is, it's also super discouraging to be a writer and send mm-hmm. stuff out. Lots of rejection. So much rejection. And especially when you're good at school, you know, I was like, I can do school and I can get an A, or I could write stories and get rejected. So even though right. I really wanted to write and felt so stubborn about it, I this was like, it's so tough to get out there and do it. But I still did it. Oh, right. just, by the way, the other thing was annoying, like it was on paper, like, and they want to send it back. I would send it back to my parents' house because I would be moving every eight months because of school or whatever. And um, then my parents would get the rejection letters. It just adds on to the to that level of humiliation. <laughs> um. <laughs> so were you um, already through residency and everything by the time you finally got published? No. So there are two happy things that happened during med school. So I got my first acceptance for a short story in med school. And oh. I, I, a short story and a poem. So those that felt amazing. You know, like, it, I was except right. in medical school before I got my first acceptance for writing. <laughs> um, although that might not happen now because med school is getting harder and harder to get in. And then the other thing is that uh, an, uh, one of the pivotal things was that I was a winner in Writers of the Future, which is a contest that's open internationally because for the non-Americans, it's tough. A lot of the contests are only open to the U.S. Mm-hmm. And um, you don't. there's no entrance fee, and the winner for each quarter gets $1,000, and then it's $750, and then it's $500 so for the first, second, and third. Wow. Time. So you get paid relatively a lot of money for a short story. Um, it is right. by the estate of L. Ron Hubbard, so you have to be okay with taking Scientology money, which I, ah, I personally decided mm-hmm. I was... I, I would take the Scientology money, and it was better off going to me than to um, brainwashing people. Right. And, right. And yes, then they were. they will they will pay you uh, to like they will pay your flight, and for a week stay at a um, for a writing they'll teach you writing for a week in L.A. Wow. So I was like, I'm going to be, like, I, I got it at the end of medical school, and I knew I was going to be starting my residency, and I was like, I don't care what I'm doing, like, because you get knocked anywhere across the country. It's the same as stage two. You don't know where you're going to end up being or what you're going to end up studying, but I'm just like, I don't care what's going on. I'm going to those contests. And I did. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be gone for a week. Um, wow. So That's that was, amazing. That was good. Yeah. Is that I, I, and what I've learned since then is it's not only – the contest and the money and whatever. It's also the people that you meet at the same time. Like you, you're going to be with your peers. And for me, right. I realized I had some hang-ups for writing. So like, they pair you with someone. They call you your twin. So I would say to him, I'm like, you know, there's a book I want to buy at the used bookstore across the street, but it costs $18, and I don't know if I can spend that. And it's 18 American. <laughs> it's like an extra right, right. For Canadians. And he's like, 
do you think that you would get $18 worth out of it? And I'm like, yes. He said, then you should buy. And of course, it's very logical, right? But at the time, right. I was not logical about writing. I was always worried I was never going to make any money from my writing. It was just always going to be an expense. Um, even though I had just won money and been flown down to LA and everything, right. I was like, well, this could be the last time. And, you know, like this is you know, it was one of the first times in my life I made any money out of writing. This is all the end. And um, and so I was just like, okay, okay. So I bought the book, which is poem, poem Crazy by Susan Wolfsmith, which is wonderful, wonderful book. And the other thing I noticed was that one of the people who had won Writers of the Future and won first place, so there were only four of them in the year. I won second place. He was like, uh, he had never written any other story, and I don't think he ever entered any other contest. It was like, you know, just a complete newbie going in and winning. And somebody else in his life had been writing for years and applying for years. And I looked around me, and when we all talked about how often we had submitted to Writers of the Future, there were a number of people who had been applying for years or had applied time after time. And for me, I'd applied a few times, and I hadn't gotten anywhere, and I got mad, and I stopped applying. And I realized, and then, and then I was lucky enough to get in with this other story, but I realized getting mad and not sending the stuff in didn't hurt anybody else. Like, the writer of the future did not know that I didn't send anything else to them. It hurt me. So I was like, the people right. that have a long-term career are the ones who write every four months and submit a story every four months. Those are the ones who are going to win in the end. So I realized to keep, to, to have any sort of success with my writing, I was, A, going to have to stop being so scared of spending money on it and invest time and energy into it, and B, um, be really stubborn about it and not let other people tell me no and let it scare me away. And those are lessons I've Yeah, you really committed to, to it. Yeah, absolutely. So I still had to turn that over and over in my mind. So that was a watershed moment. And the other thing was that at Writers of the Future, I, they invite a lot of luminaries from fantasy and science fiction. And there's a gentleman there in a cowboy hat, Dean Wesley Smith, who gave his card out to everybody, and he was like, you're a professional writer now, and my wife, Christine Catherine Rush, and I invite writers over to our house in Oregon, and every month, we'll, everybody submits a short story, and we'll go around and, and talk about everybody's short stories, and then we eat. And I took this card, but I was quite confused. I was like, why would I fly to Oregon? <laughs> from Montreal right. uh, to workshop a short story. Because, again, I was also I would never take these risks and stuff. But Chris and Dean had a bunch of workshops, and they would, like, every few months or at least a few times a year, they would invite you to come out. So I was like, that, that's, and then we kept up with the Rise of the Future group, and some of the people started going to their workshops, and I really wanted to go to one of them, but I couldn't because it was during my family medicine licensing exam, so there was no way. Um, but then they had a two-week one, and I was like, a two weeks? I was like, wow. And so for that one, I was doing emergency medicine, and I had to take one week out of, I think it was one week out of pediatrics and one week out of ICU to go there. And I was like, how is it? I asked one of my writers of the future uh, <laughs> veterans, Elsa Bitt, and she was like, they broke me down and built me back up again. And I said, hmm, I'm going back to ICU. I don't have time to get broken down and built back up again. <laughs> so, 
when we went there, it Who wasn't that. Yeah, like I was just, I was like, oh, no, thanks. Yeah, no, I don't want to be in shambles. Um, you know, you have to write multiple stories. You have to attend multiple lectures a, a day. You know, like you read other people's work. Like it is a full-time job when you're there. But they did encourage you also to spend time, talk to other people, stay up late, chat, chat, chat. But there was a three-hour time difference for me. So I was just like, hmm. I would just wave at them and I would immediately go to sleep because by the time the lecture stopped at 10 p.m., their time, it was 1 a.m. my time. And again, I had no idea I to you, so I <laughs> couldn't get that thrown off. And so I knew that I was missing stuff, but I was will I was I was okay, I was okay with that because I was like I'm just I'm like, I'm a big nerd you know I'm like I'm, I'm going to write my stories I'll read the stories I'll do the homework but I'm not going to do any more right you know and no socializing has been a huge yeah no socializing no no <laughs> I still kind of like that but um Chris Rush has been a big mentor for me like she um she taught me a lot and she wouldn't even say that much you know, but then it would just stay with me. And sometimes I wouldn't even understand what she was saying. Like, I, I've continued to take courses with them. And then one of the things she said to me was that I didn't have good control of detail. So when you describe a scene, you can either be very vague and people don't really know, you know, what kind of chair is it, how many windows are there, et cetera, which doesn't sound like a big deal, but she ended up pointing out, that, for example, during a fight scene, if you don't know where everything is, it's very hard to visualize. And she's like, and I just stopped reading. And I was like, oh, for some people, setting isn't just like this extra thing. Cause I only care about people and right. and aliens you know, and stuff, but I don't care so much what's around them. It's not an extra thing. It's an essential thing. So that really helped me. And also mm-hmm. before a fight scene, I always make sure you know where everything is now. Um, where everything's happening. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you can, so everybody can visualize. And um, she said to me, she's like, I think your problem is that you have, you wear glasses. And you probably have her ever since you were a little kid. And I was like, yeah, that's fair. And she was like, she pointed at my plate, which I was eating. I, you know, I do eat a lot. And she, she pointed at the fruit on my plate. And she was like, you're either up here, and she pointed at the ceiling fan, or you're in the fruit. I was like, I'm in the fan, or I'm in the fruit. Like, I just, I was like, I'm like, huh. And then she, like, walked away. And I was like, okay, what do I do? But I was like, um, but I did so what does that, that mean? When, when I went back to my work, yeah, I, I, I realized, like, of course, it takes time and practice again and everything, too, that I'd be like, oh, she's right. I either would have hyper detail or describe everything, that just bore everybody, or I would describe very little, and it was too vague for people. So you just have to give enough. And that was a skill I had to work very hard on. Yes. Well, writing yeah. writing is very hard. It's not easy. <laughs> Yes, yes, there are so many skills. Like, um, I, if I can do another story, like now I teach sometimes at schools because if you're in Canada, the Writers' Union of Canada is very good about funding school visits. So um, I went to a school and I was asking them, I was like, what is your school like? They're like, yeah, it's on the road. Uh, there's a sign outside. I'm like, how will I find your school? Okay, just read the sign. I'm like, what's on the sign today? And they couldn't answer me. <laughs> and, and I'm like, you know, where is the football field? What does it smell like around you? Do you taste anything? You know, like, so I, I had them go outside and explore and then come mm-hmm. back and report. And then they were able to give a lot more concrete detail. 
And they were able to say things like for the sound, for example, they mentioned sometimes it's loud because the tractor's going by. And I was like, huh, you know, because I went to school in the city, so there were no tractors going by, mm-hmm. you know. Or right, right. Um, um, that their school smelled, actually, because the septic tank wasn't working properly. So I'm like, wow, that's a very specific thing, you know, that wouldn't be true probably right. next year. So right. it really helped me build an image of the school. It was during COVID, so I, I wasn't there, you know. So then I'm like, okay, now right. I know what your school is like. Thank you. So to be able to build that, but without boring people, and they're not going to be bored. Like to me, they're excited. That's cool. Knowing the septic system, that's not cool, but it does definitely sound you in place. distinct. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, before we run out of time, I wanted to ask you, um, because The Shapes of Wrath doesn't come out until February, if somebody wanted to read um, one of your books, can they start with White Lightning or will they be lost? No, I try to make each book that you can just start with that they're self-contained. So in every one of them, the like the crime is solved, everybody's introduced. You shouldn't be confused. So I explain to my colleagues, I'm like, if you're very organized, then you want to start with the first book in the series. But if they're just like, I am emergency medicine, <laughs> you know, like I can just <laughs> go anywhere. Then you can start anywhere in the series. And um, okay, White perfect. Lightning is a nice lead-up because that's the first time ghosts are mentioned at all. Because ah, love it. able to see ghosts. So it is a good lead-in. So, and then if you love historicals too, then that's a, a good thing. A good place to start. Okay. Okay, great. So everybody, you can pre-order right now The Shapes of Wrath. And if you want something that you can read right now so that you can test it out and see if you like um, Melissa's writing, you can check out White Lightning. It's out now everywhere. And get involved. It sounds fantastic. I can't wait to read it. I was a huge ER fan back in the day, so <laughs> I love medical thrillers. So, <laughs> But thanks so much for being here today. It was so great meeting you. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. I'll just add that if you subscribe to my newsletter, you can get a free radio drama, too. Oh, there you go. So you hit the link in uh, the blog talk bio there, and you'll get a free radio program. How cool. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on Book Lights. Be sure to connect with us at www.readersentertainment.com for articles, blogs, videos, and podcasts that matter to readers. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.